0: you're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Riddle. We're hanging out here today because one day while hiking in Peru, after just having been let go from my dream job, it hit me. There's so much more to life and there's no excuse for not embracing uncertainty and trying new things to really explore our full potential in this lifetime. On this weekly podcast, you'll hear from successful entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and visionaries just like you, so that you feel less alone as you pursue everything you want and deserve in this lifetime. This is a space where big sky thinking is welcomed and conversations about daily betterment are essential. So if you're ready to stop living an ordinary life and start living a visionary life, then welcome home. Welcome back to the show, Visionaries. After a two-week hiatus, we are officially back with Season 9 of the Visionary Life Podcast. And I can assure you, this season will not disappoint. We have such a cool roster of entrepreneurs, business owners, and brand creators who will be joining us. And you might be wondering, why did I even take a two-week hiatus? But the reason is every six months or so, I like to take a short break and I do host the podcast in seasons. And I like to take that time to just evaluate the content and the guests that I'm bringing on and to reflect on the growth of the show and to really just strategize and listen to you guys on where we should go from here. So it's an opportunity for me to make sure that the pod is still serving you guys. So some of you know I have been hosting this show for over four years now. And if you're an OG, listener. Like you've been here since kind of the beginning. Thank you. Like my number one goal has always been to focus on bringing you epic conversations with the most visionary Canadian entrepreneurs who you can learn from and be inspired by. And for that reason, I needed the two weeks also to make sure that I had a backlog of guests uh, so that I can continue to serve up these epic shows. So let's talk about our guest of the show today, our very first guest of season nine. So Melissa Mills is our guest, and she went from foster care to founder, and we're going to talk about how she's essentially changing the food industry through her company, Spread'em Kitchen. Melissa is somebody who grew up in poverty, had nothing handed to her, and like I said, she spent time as a child in foster care. And one day, as a teenager, while stocking shelves at Whole Foods, Melissa found her passion for good quality food, and through that passion, she decided to launch Spread'em Kitchen. So I really enjoyed this conversation. There's so much that happened in between her time working at Whole Foods to her time launching a product that is now sold at Whole Foods, but you're going to have to tune into the conversation to find out exactly how it all came to be. Melissa is so real. She's so honest and transparent about her humble beginnings and then she talks about where the company is at today and it's doing great. So let's just say from having 500 bucks and a small farmer's market stand to today being a multi-million dollar per year company a lot has changed for Melissa and it was truly a joy to sit down and to speak with her. So, I just stocked up on Spreadem Kitchen. I was lucky enough to be in Toronto yesterday, and of course, I had to stop at Whole Foods on my way out. And so, I grabbed four different Spreadem Kitchen products. They're all so good, all cashew-based cheeses. My God, I could literally drool thinking about these things. We served them on a charcuterie board when we had our friends Zach and Sarah over, and they brought their little baby Sloane and. Unbelievable. Like the reactions from the two of them, they didn't even know what they were eating and they were like, What is this, Kelsey? I was like, Well, it's actually Spread 'em Kitchen. So, anyways, if you want to find some Spread 'em Kitchen products, go to spreademkitchen.com. You can also find them on Instagram. So that's S P R E A D E M. Kitchen. Okay, so spread um kitchen. Am I saying that right? <laughs> Anyways, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Melissa Mills from Spread and Kitchen. Melissa, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. I am so thrilled to sit down with you today and to hear. The entire story of how Spread'em Kitchen came to be. I was saying to you off the recording that uh, I had posted something on LinkedIn saying, I'm recording season nine. I'm looking for epic Canadian entrepreneurs to speak with. And somebody from your team reached out. And then I started diving into all that you've created in the last like five or seven years. And I'm just really pumped to go into the journey. So thank you so much for being here.
1: thank you so much for having me looking forward to it
0: so let's go back like 10 years or so 12 years I don't know what the timeline is but I believe you were working at a Whole Foods market in Vancouver is that correct
1: yeah I used to work in the produce department there stacking vegetables and and things like that it was one the first one to open Uh, here and I just love vegetables so I was like okay this would be a cool job you know they're like a mission purpose driven company I kind of wanted to work for a place like that and I thought that you know I would just work there forever but I didn't.
0: (laughs) In those days you were obviously exposed to all these really cool natural health food products did you ever have this like moment of being like one day I'm gonna have my own product on the shelf.
1: I don't think it was quite like that. I'd always had this idea that I would be, I would, I always always had ideas about business. Like I would sew mittens or I'd have an air plant store or I just had all these ideas. I never thought I would actually follow through with anything, but I've always also been very interested in natural food products, even though I grew up in the smallest town in Ontario with only an IGA and there were like absolutely no natural products at all there, but a family had moved from Toronto to my town um, and they were like hippies to the max. They ate like blue corn chips, which I'd never seen before. They put their <laughs> like I was bringing my lunch to school in Ziploc bags and they had like Tupperware that was metal. And I was like, Who are these people? And you know, and they I went over to their house a couple times and tried like amaranth soup and vegan and like <laughs> stuff like that. And I was I was hooked. And as soon as they took me to the big carrot, it was the first health food store I'd ever gone to. I was like, the smell of it, just everything in there, I was like, I connected to that. And so I'd always sort of carried that with me. And I think being at Whole Foods and it kind of like brought everything together when I was working there where it was like, you know, customer always first and they always had like their mission and values stated on the wall and like, mm-hmm. what is a company structure and how do you do that? And then of course, all the interesting packaging. And so I think, yeah, it definitely got my creative juices sort of flowing.
0: Mm -hmm. I know it is such an inspiring story. I always used to love spending time in there and I used to go there for a lot of work events and there is something about it that's kind of just like motivating. Um, So you were working at Whole Foods. You started to sense that like, oh, maybe there's something here. But obviously you didn't start Spreadem Kitchen right away. What happened in those years after you finished working at Whole Foods? Like, were you working in another career path? What were you up to?
1: After I left Whole Foods, I decided that I wanted to do more than work at a grocery store. So I took a graphic design course um, while I was still working at Whole Foods. So I'd work from at Whole Foods from 5 a.m. until 2, and then I took this graphic design course from about 2.30 until 6 o'clock. Um, and then after that was over, I decided to just try to give it a go on my own doing Um, like web design and maybe logo design for smaller businesses around town and I mean that was going pretty good I was starting to make an okay income enough to sort of like pay my bills and stuff and start building but the thing I really noticed is that people didn't really want the level of creativity And the level of design that I could offer, like the things that I was inspired by were really innovative, clean, like stuff that you see on Pinterest, like big professional behance things. But the people around here, they just wanted cat logos and they wanted to stretch (laughs) their photo and they didn't want cool type. They didn't want anything as creative as I wanted to do. So I just kind of got fed up in a way where I was like, oh, I'm not reaching my full potential. What do I do? So and I still didn't have enough money just to like I didn't know what I wanted to do so I thought okay I'll make these dips because um people love them I've always been excited about healthy food and I will save up the money and go on a trip to South America and I've always been into like you know intuition and you know I I've, I've always gotten like messages in a way from the universe that kind of helped guide me so I thought okay I'm going to go and do this and I'm going to get a lightning strike moment that's going to tell me where I'm supposed to be right now. Cause it <laughs> feels like I'm pushing too much. Um, and then I just signed up for the farmer's market and that was sort of the beginning.
0: Okay, wow. Before we get there, I'm so curious. So you got this light bulb moment to start making the dips. Where did that come from? Like, did you have like a cookbook that had these dips and you were inspired to there? Were you like out and about and you tried them? How did you land on the concept of dips and how did you know that that was going to be the business?
1: Um, well, I've always loved dips, okay. So when I was a kid, I had a, I started working when I was like eight years old, so I had this paper route delivering the Georgina advocate. And whenever I'd get my paycheck, it wasn't very big, like $63, I'd go up to the Max Milk and I would get a bag of Lay's chips and a um, Philadelphia, because that was the most premium dip you could get at the time, (laughs) the onion one. And I would would sort of sit in front of the TV. We didn't have remote remote control or cable. So I would just use my foot and change the channels between the three channels we would get and I'd eat these chips and dip. And it, it began to be this comfort thing. And then From there, I ended up, you know, changing the way I eat because I started learning more about healthy foods and things. And I'm like, oh, I want these same indulgences with the same comfort and, you know, that good feeling. But I want them to be healthy. So I just started um, learning about raw food. I had that hippie Hmm. family that moved in. So they were teaching me sort of unintentionally about all these unique ingredients and the health properties of them and how to eat for health but doesn't mean that it's not going to be tasty. And so that was huge. And so I took those two concepts and I sort of like just, they were just how I lived my life. So I would be combining things and being a dip lover, you know, I would, baba ghanoush or, you know, hummus was delicious, but I'd always wanted to like make it cool. So I'd like make a Thai flavored one or it always kind of done that naturally. And I took a trip to Australia because I had a little bit of a moment before as well. And so I went to Australia for about four months and I came across a cashew beet pesto that they had there and also I noticed in Australia they kind of put beets on everything and I was like whoa and I got addicted to this particular beet dip that they had there was like kind of chunky and that wasn't happening here and I was like why is everything here so roasted red pepper and onion caramelized onion everything you know and I thought, oh, this is something I could make. So I started making this beet dip at home at parties and people were like floored by it. They were like, I've never seen anything as beautiful as this or as tasty as this. And that's when I was like, ooh, you know, I have something kind of creative that I can offer. Um, But I never thought of it on a big scale. So still at this point, I was still very like, oh, this is this small thing that I can do and uh, contribute and make people happy in a small way. But I still never thought about this is a big idea or anything like that.
0: Mm-hmm. seems like you were definitely getting that early validation. Like you said, you were bringing it to parties and your friends were like, oh my God, this is good. So you already had that like, micro proof of concept that probably made you believe like there is something here. But yeah, I can totally like see how you think, well, yeah, I'll sell it at the farmer's markets. But maybe you never imagine it having, you know, the success and magnitude that it has. So let's start um, kind of like what you did to actually start selling the dip. So you mentioned farmer's market. So once you had that proof of concept, your friends are all raving about it. Did you just think, okay, I'm going to like sign up for the local farmer's market and start selling it? Like, is that all you did to get the product out to the world?
1: Yeah, and because I had that graphic design background and I'd always wanted to do like the most beautiful things for people, I thought this is a great opportunity for me to do what I always wanted to do for other people, but for myself. So I created... Mm. I kind of treated it as if it was a big business already, just because if anything, I could use this for my graphic design portfolio. So I made this really epic, beautiful website. I put a lot of thought into the content and like the messaging. And I used what I learned at Whole Foods about creating a a mission and a vision and, you know, like kind of going through the pillars of the business. Um, More so as just a role play. Like I still didn't really, I wasn't being that serious about it. Um, and I sort of made these nice labels and though I didn't have a lot of money. So I, I got the square ones and we all had to sit around the table, cutting them out in <laughs> circles, uh, because I was still kind of like, Ooh, I don't know. I only had $500. Like I literally had like no money to spend on this either. So I kind of had to keep hmm. it thrifty. Um, and then, yeah, I just sort of started selling at the market. And then after my first farmer's market, we sold out in about two hours wow. and people were, Floored, but not just because it was unique, but mostly, I realized that there was a market of people who really were doing without or compromising a lot because of maybe they'd been through a significant health event like or that they have an allergy or or something like that, and generally, in the past, and I still think now. Things like that aren't food isn't created for those people intentionally, they kind of try to take what they have and then adapt it to that. But what I was making the pure recipes were made that way with those ingredients. And it always put a high value on ingredients. Like I don't eat canola oil or sunflower oil or grapeseed. oil. I only eat extra virgin cold pressed olive oil. So that's all I put in my products because I know it makes a difference. Um, I don't use sugar or like, you know, that stuff I take really seriously for me. And I think because I treated the product as if it was, I was making it for myself or my friends at my party. um, And that stayed true throughout that people could taste it. And the flavors were so intense and so clean that people had never tasted such powerful flavor and with such great ingredients that also didn't leave a weird aftertaste or leave them feeling bad after they ate an entire tub because that was yeah. the other thing people were like I can't not eat this whole thing but I never feel terrible after I eat it it's the weirdest thing you know.
0: Many of you know that I studied to become a holistic nutritionist many years ago, and even though I'm no longer practicing, I still take my health very seriously, especially in the winter when I feel like everyone around me is feeling subpar in one way or another. And part of my daily routine is Sambucol Black Elderberry syrup, as well as their Black Elderberry gummies. Sambucol Black Elderberry is the original Black Elderberry supplement, so you may not have heard of Black Elderberries before, but they have been used for centuries in traditional folk remedies, and they're prized for their anti-inflammatory properties. I've been extremely fond of this brand since my days studying nutrition because of its potency and efficacy in supporting my immunity. And at the first sign of a tickle in either mine or Dave's throat, we are reaching for the Call. I just can't afford to take days off work as an entrepreneur, and Sambucol helps me stay well. So not only does it taste amazing, the gummies are actually better than candy, but this stuff actually works, and I'm really excited to be using Sambucol daily immune drink powder as well. So when I'm sick of drinking water throughout the day, I just crack a pack of the immune powder and it tastes like Kool-Aid, but without the sugar and with way more benefit. So if you want to save on your next order of Sambucol, get 15% off of any order over $9.99 or more at SambucolUSA.com. So S A M B U C O L U S A. Dot com, and be sure to use the code VISIONARY15 at checkout. So again, save 15% by using code VISIONARY15 at sambucallusa.com. Oh man, I love that. And I think what's really cool about your story is that you were able to merge a lot of your passions. Like you're kind of passionate about food, healthier options. You had this great vision and um, kind of background with design And it's almost like the perfect, like, crux of all of those things came together to launch Spread'em Kitchen. So I think it's cool that, you know, you didn't just discount your past experience. Like, every step of the way seems to have led you to launching this company, which I find really interesting. So from the farmer's market, you sell out, you're getting great proof of concept. What happens from there? Like, how do you go from, I just sell a product at a farmer's market to I'm actually building a business and want to sell it in stores. What did those next few steps look like for you?
1: I think it's still at this point was driven by my customers or the people because I still didn't have that much confidence. And I think that is something that has been lacking my whole life is yeah. I, I wasn't really sure sure if I was doing the right thing or I I didn't Mm -hmm. really know. So um, yeah, after the farmer's market, people were like, Hey, meet me in the Starbucks parking lot. I need 20, 30 of these. I'm afraid (laughs) I'll never see you again. It's the language people were using. I want to freeze it more beautiful than that. People were, they were so excited. They were sharing it. They were buying 30 to share. It wasn't for them, all of it. They were like 15 of those. They were giving away to people and they would come back to me with recipe. Oh my God, have you had the beet dip with on a piece of sourdough bread with freshly sliced cucumber and a little bit of um, rosemary salt? I'm like, no. I you know, and then the person next to them would hear that recipe and they go, oh, have you tried it stirred into pasta with this and that? And I was like, it was them. It really wasn't me. So I was like, I felt a duty and an obligation to figure it out. So I just went on the internet and I was like, okay, how do I get a barcode? Um, I went into a couple of local shops and I said, what do I have to do to sell this dip here? And I went to like mom and pop shops because they seem like I've seen, I shop at those places. So I know that they yeah. have stuff on there that doesn't have a barcode. So there must be a way to kind of do it. Um, I ended up just going on the internet and incorporating my business and then getting the barcodes. And I, I went around on my bike because I still didn't have a car at the time. And I made these cute little Bags up that had the couple dips in there. I had some veggie straws and a little card. And I went to talk to all the managers I could find. And I think five out of the six I went to, it was a, an immediate yes. Um, and I was selling like two weeks later or so in some of those stores. So I ended up in the beginning, too, I was actually making up my house. So I had to get a commissary kitchen. Um, so I had a, one table. Paying five hundred bucks for a space, and then we kind of moved up from there. But um yeah, it was really all driven by the people. And then the next thing that happened was more and more stores wanted it because more customers wanted it. And then I got the then I got the fire. I was like looked at it as this sort of challenge, like hmm, how many stores could I get it in? What do I have to do? So I would just kind of go to you know all the larger stores around here, like Choices and Nature's Fair, and drop off product. And that's kind of just. just kind
0: of learned as i went really what do you think was kind of the catalyst to these store managers saying yes to you like was it that they tried the product did you have a fancy pdf document that you were showing them about all the health benefits was it that you were like super personable? Like, can you pinpoint? Because it sounds like you kind of showed up just being like, hi, I have a product. Like you didn't have it all together per se. Um, so why do you think they said yes?
1: I think 100% it was the taste. It's honestly, hands down, the tastiest thing most people say they have ever tried ever. No. And even if they don't like it at first, cause it is a little bit sour or a little bit at the beginning. But they find that their bodies after, they're like, oh, I kind of actually, I kind of want more of that. Like, I thought it was a little bit sharp, but wait, no, I want more. And then they like, they just devour it and they're kind of shocked at themselves. And I think the second thing was definitely my personality. Like, I was (laughs) on a mission, on a friendly mission to um, find the people that I needed to find and tell them about what I was doing and why it was important and why the other stuff you know, needed an upgrade. And I think they saw that too, just even in grocery, probably hummus was sort of declining. It was sort of boring. There's only so many toppings you can put on a hummus to try to make it interesting, you know, and cashews and this whole plant-based movement wasn't quite a thing just yet. And cashews and vegan cheese wasn't quite a thing just yet. So I think they kind of knew that something was gonna happen. And this was maybe the beginning of a new product category. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think like what you say too. like the product itself was really, really good. It's not like you were trying to promote a product that sucked, like the product spoke for itself. And then obviously a few layers on top of that helped it to maybe get into those first few stores. But no amount of marketing can sell a bad product. Right. (laughs) Um, So, okay, let's then talk about you're starting to get into more stores. Um, you're obviously getting busier and busier. Do you hire help? Like, are you still a one person show at this point? Like, when did you get to that point where you're like, oh my god, like I can't do this alone anymore?
1: Yeah, I think it was um, kind of like my probably it was in around 50 stores. Whoa, it's <laughs> <That's> a lot, <laughs> and I was still doing it out of a Vitamix. Which was like two at a time, kind of the thing, and it was still hand filling stuff. And I had had a couple people come in here and there that I'd kind of paid um, as casual help to kind of help me, but they kept quitting. And I think it was like the hand filling, um, because like it was really awful. And a a couple of times I was crying. I was like, "Why am I doing this? This is the worst thing ever." Yeah. Um, And then my husband was like, "You know." there's probably equipment for that. And I I got just so worried because, you know, most of my life I have lived in poverty. Like my mom was a single mom, struggled with addictions. Like I was the, I, you know, the ruler of the house kind of thing. Like I had to learn on a very small budget, how to make things work and how to do something with nothing. Like if I wanted a longboard, I had to learn how to make it. I didn't have the money to buy it. So I, I just, And, you know, there were times in my life where I had a student loan. They garnished my wages because I couldn't pay. I was working always these minimum wage style jobs, working like two or three jobs. I wasn't trying to cheat the system. I just there's just stuff is expensive, you know, and I could barely buy contacts sometimes. So I was just afraid to spend money because I was like, well, what if no one ever buys Spenum again? Or like, what if I'm making a bad decision because I've never really had money? So maybe this isn't the right thing to do you know and so I finally did just take a, a risk I took I think it was like the three thousand dollars I had saved from everything and I just put it into my first filling machine and then I used another twenty thousand dollars to buy a giant blender and that kind of like drained all my savings at that point and I couldn't really afford to hire anyone just yet so I still kind of kept working tweaking the recipes and making sure that I could get it around the clock like I'd be working until like 3 a.m and then back at 5 a.m kind of things like I really put in a lot of effort and then I I got one full-time employee um, that kind of helped and once I had the filling machine it was easier to kind of keep people because I realized that people don't have a highest threshold for pain like I do <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and so yeah that's kind of how it went
0: I can totally like I'm just picturing like you at like two in the morning crying like the employee being like what is wrong with this person and being like I'm out of here you know you mentioned that you wrote down like your vision and your mission because you were inspired by how Whole Foods did it and obviously to persevere when you are working around the clock and when you feel like maybe nothing's working you have to have a strong why. Like obviously, you know, that's what's gonna keep you going and you're gonna wake up the next day and not shut the whole business down. What is your why with Spread'Em Kitchen? Like what is the mission behind the company that kept you going even on those dark early days when it would have been easier to quit?
1: I think I have like three and they're at different levels. So I have like my big, big picture why which my big picture why is definitely I'm a crusader for real food. I think processed mm-hmm. food is destroying humanity. I feel really passionate about it. I think we're dumbing ourselves down by succumbing to the convenience of processed food and I think we all are like stunting our true potential and happiness and health and well-being because how accessible processed food is, how unregulated processed food is. Um, it's pure poison, I think. And I grew up on processed food and I, I was very sick for a long time because of it. And it's my mission that, you know, food is information. It's instructions. You can either upregulate or downregulate yourself based on what you put in your body. It's so so important. And I don't think people truly understand how important it is because our taste buds have been hijacked by processed food. And so that's like my big, big mission. I just want to kick the asses of like these huge companies that are just making so much money because they don't care about people. Even like now I'm kind of in this vegan cheese game and like it's poison. Most of it is poison. Like do not eat that stuff, you know, but like the stuff that we make isn't but you're not going to get like a melty cheese um, at this point and then so people are just used to certain things right yeah. and so they kind of want a direct change but and still until you start actually eating healthy you will realize that you don't need an exact replica or, or whatever for your yeah. processed food addiction you, you no. you're better off without it so that's kind of like my big mission and then in between it was more like the game I guess I really I'm hyper competitive. I always have been. Um, And so it was kind of like, just writing down, can I get to $100,000? And can I meet this person? Like, who's the gatekeeper for certain things was like, on there, and then revenue, kind of like goal setting sort of things were sort of the other things. And then also, Mm -hmm. always keeping in mind how I wanted to build my business. So I I didn't know B Corp wasn't really a big term when I was starting my business, but it definitely aligns with the kinds of pillars I wanted to instill in what we do every day, which is like paying a livable wage, making sure that, you know, we always talk about taking care of our communities, but understanding that our communities because of how global everything is, extend to where I get my cashews from. Are those people being paid well? Do they have a good life too? You know, mm. like are my employees taken care of? like, you know, do they feel not too stressed? Do they like coming to work? Like I want to make sure that the impact I have, every person I meet, do they feel like they're special and number one and mm-hmm. like I'm engaged with the conversation. It's not just about selling. It's about maybe every person you meet along the way is part of a bigger picture for you. And so I try to like look at every interaction as that and not just about building the business. It's kind of more like a it's like a personal journey I feel like I'm on. And I guess that's how yeah. I have kind of structured the path is like, some people are way ahead of me, and some people are just starting and just yeah. trying to not get too stuck because I am competitive. In like, where are we? You know, it's like, well, where are we as, a, as an organization, not just money yeah. or, you know, that sort of thing.
0: Oh, so inspiring. I love those three pillars of your mission. Um, all of them so important and so powerful. And I can just hear in how you share them, but like, this lights you up. So very, very cool. Um, so fast forwarding a little bit, like, what is your role in Spreadham Kitchen today? And like, what does the team look like at this point? Visionary, I know you, you're a health nut and you want to save money on the brands you love and the ones that support your well-being. Well, Healthy Planet is your one-stop shop for all things healthy. They have everything from gluten-free snacks to non-toxic beauty products, and they deliver it all right to your doorstep. Being healthy has never been easier, more affordable, or more convenient than this. So go ahead, shop with Healthy Planet online and save 10% off any Online order over $49.99. Just use the code VISIONARY2022 at checkout. VISIONARY2022 at checkout. It's going to save you 10%. So what are you waiting for? Go get all of your health food goodies and start saving today by heading to HealthyPlanetCanada.com. Use the code VISIONARY2022 at checkout.
1: It's still pretty small, I would say. So we've gotten about 10 people in production. Production manager and sort of that sort of thing, and then we've got a marketing person, and we have a sort of local sales general manager, and then we have me, who kind of like, I'm not really in the role I want to be in, but I'm I'm kind of transitioning <laughs> into that role probably cool. in the next couple of months or so, um, which is more the creative stuff. So right now I'm just kind of like filling holes. I do some sales things, I do lots of spreadsheets, and I I I do lots of admin stuff so it's that's not really the stuff that gets me excited about (laughs) spreading I'm very happy to start to organize it and kind of get that off my plate and then Mm -hmm. um, we are we have a broker so they kind of help with you know cross Canada sales and then we've hired someone in the U.S. to kind of help us with our expansion over there we're not quite there yet but we're just kind of like building swell in the, in the program, my favorite things to do are strategy. I really love problem solving strategy. I like analyzing data to figure out, um, you know, patterns and mm. to try to, I don't know, create better experiences for everybody in the value chain, you know, like for our distributors, for our direct customers, for our retailers, for my employees. And then I just love being creative. So obviously coming up with new flavors and and new products, but also just like other things, just like anything marketing, kind of how to tell the story is kind of like what I really like.
0: I love how you're like super interested in strategy numbers and then like also the creative and design. I see those almost as like two different sides of your brain but it's cool that like you do have talents in many areas that you're able to utilize in your role um but yeah when you say like the numbers and strategy stuff I'm like oh I would just rather hang out in the creative world but uh, it's awesome that you have a variety of skill sets
1: yeah i think that is something interesting about my personality type that i not a lot of people like have that or like understand why I even like that but I think at the end of the day I just like solving problems so sometimes you have to do it with numbers and sometimes you don't and I understand that sort of math is the language of the universe so when you start understanding numbers and and you can follow patterns it really opens the doors to the creativity.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. That at the root of both of those things, it's problem creative problem solving uh, or just analytical problem solving. So mm-hmm. definitely, um, okay. Where is the product line at today? Can you give the listener a bit of an overview of like what you sell currently um, and just like the expansion that you guys have had in terms of product uh, SKUs over the last few years?
1: We have so many SKUs. <laughs> Probably too many, um, but we have, so we have a line of dips, cashew dips. So that would be like beet, carrot, cilantro. They're just your regular dips. Then we have our creamy party dips which is where you get into the cultured sort of cashew base. And that's like tzatzikis and spinach dips and kind of that nostalgic stuff that you yeah. kind of might like a substitute for. Yeah. Um, and then we get into our kind of cream cheeses or our creamy spreads, dips sort of things, which is our number one seller, which is chive and garlic and jalapeno. Mm. Um, and then we last year, or no, the beginning of COVID. I don't know. The last couple of years, a bit of a blur. Um, <laughs> uh, we launched more of a, a firm, creamy block um, for like more like charcuterie and, and kind of like mm, slight, a little bit more sliceable. Um, and then we have a butter, and we're just launching our snack packs. So a lot of people like to take our stuff on the go, and so we teamed up with a local uh, cracker free cracker producer here in oh. Vancouver called Free and her crackers are amazing really nice and crisp and delicious and so we kind of put them in a to-go thing to, to help drive trial because our stuff is kind of expensive so it's sort of like yeah. a low-cost way to try the product on the go um, but also just as a way to kind of get into another spot in the store.
0: Mm, I love the idea of the snack pack. That's such a cool collaboration and that you're able to do it with another local company. And I know those crackers. So yeah, if I saw that, like I would be totally munching on that on a commute or I don't know, anytime I have to go somewhere and I know I'm going to be hungry. So very cool.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times we're out and about. I noticed this a lot when I was really deep in the hustle of like sales and demos and I was like doing two demos a day and I was just driving yes. all around and I'm very cognizant of what I put in my body. And a lot of times I would have to compromise on something I didn't think was that great because of time, Yeah. you know? So I would be, end up eating something I didn't necessarily 100% want to eat, but I was hungry and I was in that place of like, I just need something and maybe it's better than a cookie or maybe I would eat a cookie. So I also feel like this is a as people start to build awareness about it, is something that is somebody you can have as a snack and it's sort of your savior at seven eleven where there's this sea of bad choices and you're like, if only there was one good choice. And now I feel like there is gonna be one good okay. choice.
0: Are you saying these are gonna be available at seven eleven one day? Oh
1: yeah, very I think they might be, yeah.
0: Epic. <laughs> I cannot wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> um is there a milestone that you guys have reached in the last like two to three years that you feel particularly proud of? Obviously you've had a lot of success in scaling to retailers and creating this beautiful brand and just being on your own personal journey. But is there something in particular that jumps out at you that you're like, I am so proud that our company did this or that I did this?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, there's about two that really sort of stick out to me and One is being able to pay all of my employees a livable wage here in Vancouver. I mean, I started paying people like 12 bucks an hour, which was more than minimum wage, but it's always been on my goal list to kind of be able to pay people more. And I hope to go beyond the livable wage thing where I I really want to nurture our employees and, and get like, you know, people living a really great life, like not just being in a job because I work so many jobs where like my job takes up all my time and energy. I want to get home. I just want to lay down in my bed for a little while. And I don't really have any time to like explore my passions or have time for my family or whatever it is. And so one of my missions, personal mission is to create an environment here that allows for people to explore the things that they love to do. And without the stress of money, um so that's kind of one thing I don't quite know what that's going to look like just yeah but you know I I pick away at it in the ways that I can with what I the means that I have to do so as we go um moving into our own very own production space was huge I mean I stayed Mm. in a commissary we were probably we were well over a million dollars in revenue and I was still in a commissary like I was (laughs) basically and the commissary didn't even have like proper, like a door was a narrow door. It couldn't even fit a pallet in there. And we were probably packing six pallets or more a week oh. per distributor. And so we would have to hand bomb it uh, out. And we were using like ratchet straps to kind of stack them to the ceiling. And I was just afraid because I also have never really owned anything or have been responsible for a full lease or something like that. And so that was a real personal development milestone. It's like, Really realizing that I have a real business here. It, it's like mm-hmm. successful. You're not like, don't worry. Like, I remember bankers, like, whenever they, they want to give me money, like, nobody has that experience. People are, like, are always complimenting me yeah. on how good my PL is and stuff. And I was like, I have no idea what PL is, you <laughs> know, like for so long. You know, I was like, okay, good, you know. But mostly, I was like, how can I get as much for spending as little as I possibly can, except for the things that matter to me, which were people and ingredients. Um, so when we finally got our own space, I was like, kind of felt like one of those moments where if, if nothing changes from this point on, I think I will be, I will be able to say that I did something, you know, yeah. and I, I'm pretty proud of that position. I put myself in taking myself out of, you know, like not being able to afford contacts to be able yeah. to be providing salaries for people and to be providing awesome product to people and figuring it out as I go I don't think I gave myself enough credit for
0: yeah. the
1: strategy and the stuff that I came up with on my own whereas like a lot of people do get outside help but you know I'd had a couple of mentor type relationships but they always end up sort of firing me because they were just like you have such a strong vision honestly you have all the tools you need you just need time they really did yeah. say that like if you need to call me call me but I honestly Mm -hmm. feel like you have this and at first I was sort of offended at the two people that kind of gave me very similar feedback I was like is this what a mentor like oh my god you know like I felt (laughs) bummed out because I wanted someone to tell me the answers but one of the guiding principles I keep getting hammered on the head through the universe is trust yourself like honestly Mm -hmm. you know the answer stop doubting yourself and wasting time asking 50 million people and maybe paying them money to then realize that your idea was it, you know, so I think those are sort of the the keys.
0: Oh, man. That is definitely a powerful lesson is that at the end of the day, like only you have the answers. Like you are the visionary behind this company and it's easy to want to outsource that and be like, somebody else needs to tell me what to do or I just need to take one more program and learn how to do Facebook ads. But it's like, no, <laughs> what What do I know to be true about what this business needs? And I think it's uh, it's really like a, a journey to learn, to listen to that inner voice. And to realize that, like, if you follow someone else's template, it probably won't work that well because you're completely pushing aside what you know to be true about this company that you built from the ground up. So I was going to ask you, like, have you ever worked with like outside mentors? But I think that kind of answers that. And it sounds like at this point, you know that like usually it's more of a I need to sit and, and ask myself, what does the business need?
1: yeah exactly i am actually going to be working with two other people though uh coming in the coming months that have sort of um decided to take on spread them as a project as cool as like a round table like i do i think we have reached a point where i need a little bit more strategy back and forth and a little bit more tactical back and forth and but now that i know that specific thing it feels like the right move to make whereas before I was like either hiring like freelance marketing agency or or this and that and that the to tell me my vision basically is what I kept doing but I, I knew I know my vision so but I didn't trust it but now I do so I guess I had to go through that I guess
0: absolutely I feel like
1: there's no sense in sometimes looking back at hindsight and you you know you might beat yourself up over it. you're like oh why did I do this why did I do this but I think that message is that you everything has value so even if you look back and you're like oh this was the same lesson over and over again but it just took you that long to finally understand the value and that message and and now that you went through it three or four times you know then now you you kind of don't have to do it again because you recognize it i read this really awesome book called the mountain is you i am the mountain the mountain is you Hmm. um and basically it's about self mastery or whatever but it's also a little bit about self sabotage in in some ways like little things that can come up that you might not realize that you're doing um like uprooting or or, you know perfectionism or these sorts of things that are really just a means of delaying your inner voice or discounting your your inner voice instead of just like um you know if it doesn't hurt if there is no pain you just have to realize that that means you're on the right track like that means you're learning and i think we all want to avoid pain and we all but really, there's no other way. There are no shortcuts, you know. So,
0: some people say that like um, business uh, or your business growth journey is directly tied to your personal growth journey. Does that kind of resonate with your path? Like, have you had to do a lot of personal work and really grow as a individual in order for your company to continue growing?
1: Oh, I think absolutely a hundred percent. If you're not on a path of personal development and business, I don't think you probably just have like a regular business that's a transactional business, but people who really grow their businesses into these huge Things empires, if you will, it is 100% tied to who you are and how you grow and how you develop. And, yeah. you know, all the problems that come up are generally related to you. Know, you. <laughs> so your personal blocks or, or those sorts of things. That's 100%. I, I agree with that statement. <laughs> mm hmm.
0: Is there a skill that you're currently working on yourself like I know you said you're kind of reaching out to other people uh, to help you to like strategize for the future but you personally is there an area that you feel like you really want to dive into or something that you haven't fully grasped yet that you want to just learn more about as an entrepreneur and as the founder of this company?
1: I think me, I I think I'm really getting into the term self mastery, you know, really starting to understand who I am and discipline and the way that I go out into the world and being okay with nothingness and everything all at the same time and more focusing on a human experience and, and less about Material things or, or or any of that sort of thing, you know, I think I've always been very interested in the meaning of life. i I don't want to get maybe too deep or whatever, but you I know it. I came from a situation where I was I was in foster care from the time I was three until I was about six and a half years old. And I kind of bounced around between my mom and, and foster care back and forth. And I, I had a moment when I was about five years old in a foster home and I, I kind of was crying and I remember not understanding, like, why am I here? Like, why do I exist? Like, it doesn't feel like anybody wants me. Like, what is my purpose? I remember being like so young and asking, what's my purpose? And I, I stood up on my bed frame and I looked out and there was a full moon and I said to the moon, like... I'll be good. Is that, you know, is that why nobody really wants me? Is it because I, I'm I'm not good? Maybe I'm a bad kid, you know, and I made a promise to the moon that night that I will do whatever it takes to be good. And I really, from that moment on, at such a young age, I wanted to know the meaning of life. And I think through chaos and through crisis, sometimes, you know, that stuff like that doesn't usually happen until you're maybe a teenager or maybe you're 40, you know, like where something, your life comes crashing down on you. And I think in a way, I was always sort of sad, but that was like an opportunity for me at such a young age to really become aware of my Mm -hmm. experiences and interpret them and I've always kind of like had these interesting books pop up in my life like the first one was like the Celestian Prophecy oh yeah (laughs) another one was this one on nature versus nurture just sort of like following those types of sort of there are no coincidences in life is one of the main things that I've been led by since I was really really young Um, and and being open to whatever journey you happen to be on that it's about the messages that you receive between your engagements with the different people that you meet Uh, whether they sometimes are conflict sometimes they're like you've Mm -hmm. met someone for the first time that feels like you've known them for an eternity Ah, uh, sometimes t- somebody gives you a tip, and sometimes you give, you know, something, and you change people's lives. And I think I, I love that. It it makes me feel excited about the magic of life because yeah. you know, at the end of the day, I have everything I need. I finally got the MacBook Air I ever wanted. I find <laughs> I bought my family a home last year, like in Vancouver. Like that's insane. And yeah. I so I've kind of done these things. And the thing that still kind of gives makes me feel like magic is helping people and sort of like uncovering this sort of magic of life. So my own self-mastery or discovery is kind of like kind of maybe going down more of that. I don't want to call it spiritual, but just understanding Mm -hmm. consciousness and and all that stuff.
0: Mm, I feel like maybe there's like a future project in that for you to be like, once you learn this and actualize it to teach it to others. So... Who knows? Put it on the vision board. That would be board.
1: cool. If I could be like the next Joe Dispenza. There no like, It's would be possible.
0: <laughs> I actually do see it for you, so I don't know that it's too far <laughs> off. <laughs> um, final question. For somebody who's listening to this podcast and they're feeling particularly inspired by your story, but they have no idea where to begin with their business idea, what would you tell them is one of the first steps that they could take to bring an idea to life just like you did. Hey visionary, are you ready to launch your business? If you're looking for a way to get started, we can help. The Visionary Method is a weekly coaching program that will guide you through the process of launching your business and generating revenue in as little as 12 weeks. We have helped over 100 entrepreneurs build their businesses from scratch and find community with people just like them. You don't have to do this alone. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or extrovert, young or old, experienced or brand new. method works for everyone who wants it badly enough. This isn't about getting rich quick. It's about creating something meaningful that changes lives and makes the world a better place. Join us today by heading to kelseyriddle.com for details or click the link in the show notes and learn more about the visionary method.
1: I would say don't get too hung up on like competition or like, you know, anything like that. Make sure that you have something of value. So don't cheap out on anything that you make sure if it's a food product, that it's something that it's like the best ingredients or that you're going to be making people's lives better, not just selling cookies or, or, or something like that. Or if it, you know, if it's sort of a service or something like that, yeah, don't get hung up on competition, but really trying to tailor Mm -hmm. it specifically to the one person that you think could really benefit from that. Just the one, don't try to like, make it too big of a group, just one mm-hmm. person, because there'll obviously be more people to follow. The next thing I say yeah. is branding is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the the way it looks is huge. And so I would say with Pinterest being basically still readily available, create a Pinterest board, which is basically yep. a vision board. And it's so amazing and so powerful. And just like go to town on that. And, and it's not done in a day, like you gotta like, start pinning things over a month or whatever and make a really just one big board. Don't try to like organize it, just everything you like or catches your eye from like a building to a font to a color scheme or something Just dump it all into that thing and then go through there. And this is like where my pattern and my sort of strategy brain comes in and start creating different uh, boards from the commonalities that you see in in there. And then from each of those boards go inside and start saying, okay, is this like a personal thing, or is this kind of like a, is this just like a, yeah, like a personal need, or is this something that relates to my business? And then kind of sort that out between like personal life goals and then like your business, like look and vision and branding from there. Cause sometimes people, I kind of am like this too, where I just like, I get them mixed up sometimes. And then as your business grows, you have to realize that like your business is a certain aesthetic and your life aesthetic can change over time, but you gotta be pretty consistent with your business aesthetic. And so I would say like aesthetic is huge because most of the time people who have a product or a service, if their website looks kind of janky, you know, people aren't gonna trust that it's pro or that you're better than them. That's where I think the major customer barrier is, is that, Deep down, the customer has to believe or be told that you know more than they do hmm. or that you have what they don't have and need. Yeah. So if if your food product or your website or your packaging just looks like, you know, a printed sticker out of a printer, mm-hmm. you know, you can't you really do have to kind of level it up. Like what would craft do or like yeah. what would somebody you aspire in a service would do to kind of do that and I would say if you have can get those two things clear um yeah. really just pounding the pavement that's another thing actually mm-hmm. so many people try to skip this step they try to hire it out they don't want to meet anybody or they just kind of like want it all right away they want mass distribution or they want 10,000 I don't know if that's a lot 100,000 customers or, or something like that but all the value in the early days comes from you doing everything. It really does because yeah. that's how you learn how to first of all hold people accountable who are going to then be in that position, whether that be sales or production or writing code or your Facebook ads or whatever. But then yeah. you're also getting the feedback from customers. So for like me, I was doing demos yeah. so I could use their language. Like I have my language language of like what I'm telling them the product is, but what are they telling you that the product is to them?
0: Yeah. Listen to
1: that, you know, and then So that's like such valuable information. Other people aren't going to know that. You're not going to pick up on those cues if you're not there. Like those are really special moments. And then I think too, when I was going to the stores myself or going, trying to get the sales meetings and them getting to know me and my hustle and my grit and my, you know, tenacity for success I think that's where the loyalty comes from. Like we're doing so amazing here in the West and there's lots of competition coming in all the time and we are dominating and it it's not, our stuff is the best I will say, but on top of it, people want to try new things. So retailers are willing to let other people in, but I think yeah, I yeah. have a certain loyalty. My retailers have certain loyalty. My distributor has a certain loyalty to me because they all know me. They all like they know, feel my passion every time at a trade show, like we have such great relationships, like building those relationships are invaluable beyond what you're doing now, right? Like you never know if the yeah. person you, you come across in the grocery store is gonna be your next boss or your next collaborator or to pass you on a customer or, you know, it could be anything and you could be helping them too. So I think always just thinking those three things Like you, you got, you get so much value more than you think. And it sounds, feels like it's going to be tiring to do all that, Mm -hmm. but it's worth all the hours that you spend building it up kind of slow Mm -hmm. to get that information. I personally think.
0: Mm, I love those tips. So number one, don't cut corners, make a really good product. Number two, epic branding. Number three, pound the pavement, build the relationships, I can imagine that there's probably a lot of these retailers who still remember the first time you came in and your enthusiasm and your excitement. And they've just continued to strengthen that relationship with you since. So I think that's such an important part of building that brand loyalty and that retailer loyalty to you. Uh, and it's obviously paid off quite well. So definitely an important tidbit for anyone listening who is selling a product. Um, it's, it always boils down to the relationship. Somebody is behind the product, right?
1: Yeah, for sure, and it, huh. it makes me exciting, excited too. Like when I see the CEO from Choices and he gives me a hug at a trade show, and he's like telling, reminiscing about spreading yep. products, and, and I it like lights me up. I'm like, okay, like they 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 care.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a reminder that like yeah, people really do care about you. They care about your product and they believe in your brand just as you do. So yeah, very, they're like
1: rooting for you. It's so they're cool, rooting you know? for
0: you, absolutely. <laughs> This has been so cool, Um, I absolutely love your energy, your enthusiasm for Spread Kitchen and I'm very intrigued too about your personal evolution and spiritual journey. I'm sure we'll you know stay connected and I can keep in touch with you on that but if people haven't tried Spread Kitchen and they want to go get their hands on some products um, and they live in Canada, where are the best places to find out about you to learn more about the brand and all the places that they can connect with you guys?
1: well we're available in almost all natural grocery stores across canada so from you know nature's fair to the big carrot Uh, we're also in loblaws and superstores now too in the sort of natural value aisle Um, we're now also available in sobeys which is pretty cool in with the natural dairy sets Um, you can find our cream cheeses in there next to uh, you know the organic eggs and, and yogurts and those sorts of things so that's really awesome And that's coast to coast and you can also find us online so we did start a a store online so we can ship straight to your house um and then that way you also get sort of a personal a few little extra personal touches to kind of like learn more about the brand and you know engage with us a little bit more and then yeah and then all of these sort of online stores like spud and there's so many just go on the store locator if yes. you're interested.
0: <laughs> yeah, I will link that in the show notes for sure. And I can honestly say I we had a couple of friends over a few weekends ago and I made a charcuterie board and it had all of your products on it and they were obsessed. Like they're so good. They're the best replacements for you know, typical cheese or whatever people normally put out. So I just want to say congratulations on all your success. You have an amazing product and I wish you all the best as you continue to share your mission and your vision with more and more people. So thank you, Melissa. Oh, no. Thank you so much for chatting. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis, so it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Riedel. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.